The Writer's Room, a 7th Sea podcast, is endorsed by Chaosium, Inc. For more information, visit www.chaosiuminc forward slash 7th Sea. Hello, friends. Come on in. Take your seats, grab your tea, and welcome back to Notes with the Narrator. When we recorded this, Patrick and I sat down at my place, my residence, and recorded in person. Now, while the audio does not sound as clear and as crisp as editing Zoe's voice, it does pass muster. However, you're going to hear a bit of a difference. So I figured I would give you this heads up beforehand. As always, thank you to all of the officers for joining us today, Covington v. Nightingale and Keith, as well as our friends at the Crafty Gamer and Ten Quills Dice. And without any further ado, I give you Notes with the Narrator, Volume 11, The Price We Pay. Hi everybody, welcome to this special episode of Notes with the Narrator. The Price We Pay. Yeah. What, mm. <laughs> what a price to pay. <laughs> what, a, what a price to pay. So today we are going to talk about another big thing in 7C, which is sorcery. It's mm-hmm. magic. It is delving into not only what is already pre-established in the books, but also world building a little bit with your players and your GM and your world on how to build that. And today we're going to mainly focus on the Avalonian side If you're not aware, all of the magic is nationality-based, and so each nation in Thea and in the pirate nations and in the New World all have their own specific magic that Mm -hmm. is tailored to them. There is a power that you can give your character, and that power is broken down into minors and majors. The majors are your game-breaking magics. Subsuming a ship is technically a game-breaking power. You can literally take control of an entire ship by yourself. Whereas mending a ship is a minor power. Every sorcery is broken up like this. It's either two minors and one major for every two points you spend in sorcery, or it depends entirely on the magic. It's two majors, one minor. And those majors have costs. Let's see. I think the biggest one that is easiest to understand is Porte. Porte has the least and the highest cost. Porte sorcerers can basically pull and push objects to themselves as long as they have previously marked that object. Mm. And by marking that object, they prick their finger, drop a blood, intention, and then mark that item. And then later on down the line, if they want to, they can cut open a hole in the world by first either damaging themselves or not, we'll get into that in a minute, then grab that object wherever it is. They can also mark people. That is a major cost. They can then walk to that person, again, by opening a hole in the world and walking through the ways. Now, there's a heavy cost to be paid. They have to deal a dramatic wound to themselves in order to do that, basically open up an artery. And then they walk in the place called the walkway and there are three rules inside there you cannot open your eyes 
you do not listen to the voices, and if you're walking with a sorcier, you never let go of their hand. Mm -hmm. As we've seen with Cosette, some terrible things happen. Now, as a player, if you want to play a Porte Sorcerer, you can choose not to take the dramatic wound and cut open a hole in the world and walk through it. That hole then can only be closed from the inside. Ooh, interesting. That hole remains open until someone does not have to be a Porte user, walks in and closes it from the inside. Oh, that offers so many opportunities for very interesting and dramatic storytelling. I like that a lot. Mm -hmm. So that's just one example of a cost. Another example is from the Sarmatian Commonwealth, the Devi, basically making a deal with a literal demon. That demon grants you ridiculous powers. Mm. However, every time you ask it for a favor, it usually ends in corruption when you're asking for a major one. There's a lot of crossover between how sorcery functions within the world. Very much how Luke Skywalker describes the Force in The Last Jedi, however you feel about that film, where there is no light side, there is no dark side, there is only the Force. It feels to me, as far as 7C is concerned, that there is sort of this just inherent magic to the world, and it's how each nation channels it, and sometimes they can channel it in similar ways. For instance, with the Knights, when we've discussed what can Wayland really do with Paga's power, can Wayland only draw on Paga? There is the potential for Wayland to use Paga to reach out to the other knights in a moment of desperation, but that's going to come with a huge cost, Mm -hmm. because there are going to be some heavy consequences to essentially making a deal with one of the other knights Mm -hmm. that eventually they will come calling for that recompense. Yep. And it feels like very much equivalent exchange is the law of the land. I believe it was in episode five where the bucket was under attack and we had solved the whole red ghosts attacking the bucket of blood Mm. and sat down and looked at the sword. And you guys were talking about the mixing of magics, the the Porte sorcery and and potentially unseelie source behind this. Mm. And it was Raul who said, only with intent can we justify alignment. He was talking about magic. Mm -hmm. Magic is neither good nor evil. It is the intention and the use behind it that gives it the good or evil, makes it black or white. It just exists in this world, and it's how you use it. You can ask another knight for one of their powers. You are going to have to perform a quest for them later. Right. I find it more appealing than other magic systems. There's also the aspect that it's not something that you can use all the time. A lot of the magic within 7th C relies on using hero points and raises to go along with them. So there have been times where I've had to flavor it that Wayland's just out of juice. When the reality is like, I don't have any hero points to spend on this. (laughs) Hi friends, editing Zoe here. Patrick and I did go off on a bit of a tangent about Nations of Thea Volume 1 and 2, where they do explore more in depth on these magics. 
Since the main focus of this Notes with the Narrator episode was exploring Wayland's magic specifically, we decided that we were going to cut all that and turn it into another episode. So stay tuned for that one later. Anyway, let's get back to the notes. Wayland is one of those knights. Wayland is indeed one of those knights, as we have come to discover over time. You're based off of these upper echelon people that used to exist at one point in time. Mm. I believe it was 600 years ago that King Elioth actually lived with all of the knights that you see. There's, mm. I, there, I believe there's 12 of them. And it's funny that you're upfront with your magic and you're very transparent because your knight is Paga the Forgotten. Mm. The only reason anyone remembers anything about Paga is because in Elioth's round table, Paga's name is carved at their seat. Other than that, we know nothing. There's nothing in the book about them other than they are based entirely around shadow and vanishing and not being perceived. When you have a player that wants to take that knight, that gives a lot of leeway to world building with that knight. And what we did was we're like, okay, so what was Paga during right. the time of King Elioth? I'm very in touch with my Irish and my Celtic heritage be it on my Irish side, on my Scottish side, pretty sure there's some Norse in there somewhere. I come from the white people factory, which is the joke that I often make, but I wanted to create a character that paid a lot of, at least initially, that paid a lot of homage to that. And the wonderful thing about Paga as one of those knights is because it's so vague, we could go anywhere. We could decide to do anything with this character. In the book, there are several suggestions one of them was he was a betrayer. One of them was that Paga was Elioth's like assassin. And there are so many different myths surrounding this character that it fully allows whoever is playing the game and creating the character using Paga. It allows them complete and total freedom for whatever direction you want to go. Whereas some of the other knights are a little bit more fleshed out and it's very clear who they were and what their values were. Yeah. Elioth being the king, Samhain being the sailor. Like mm. they're very straightforward as to what their purpose was and what they serve. With Paga, we sat down and you wanted to make Wayland and we talked about Wayland's mm -hmm. whole dichotomy, the whole Samwell Flint Wayland thing. By the way, spoiler alert, if you've made it this far and you don't know that Wayland is Samuel Flint, I'm sorry, but also not sorry. Mm -hmm. I'm a huge fan of Hitchcock's mode of storytelling where it's alert everybody to the fact that there is a bomb in the room and then just go along as normal. And that fuse has been slowly burning out throughout the entirety of season one. But as far as the magic of Paga and the magic of the Knights... That was sort of an interesting discovery because the way that that works, as far as the mechanics are concerned, is you're choosing a character from Avalon. If you want them to have sorcery, you choose one of the knights that they embody. And then from there, you are given an option of a couple different kinds of sorcery, depending on what knight you choose. And in the book, Nations of Thea, Volume 1, it tells you essentially exactly what you should choose. Tells you what you should choose. And if later on down the line, you're playing a knight and you want to actually become the embodiment later on during gameplay, it tells you how to do that, which mm -hmm. is basically just changing your virtue and your hubris to match that knight 
and then depending on the GM, you might have to go through a trial and then you gain the bonus sorcery from that night. For Paga, I believe it is Shadow Step or the equivalent of Shadow Step where you can not Mm. only manipulate shadows, you can hide in shadows. It tells you what advantages to take. It tells you your arcana. You basically match that night and become the embodiment of it. At least the way how I view it, it's a whole Highlander situation Mm -hmm. where there can be only one. Only one person can hold the mantle of, say, Paga. However... That doesn't mean that an apprentice can't be made. From that point, because while we have several individuals on our crew that do have the ability to use sorcery and use the different sorceries from their different nations, that was something that I think that we we felt was very important as far as representation. Not only representation by the characters, but representation for the different mechanics of how the different sorceries work. It's interesting how all of that developed as we started playing the game, because we've also done some stuff that is unique to the writer's room. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There are some sorceries that Wayland has a handle on, and Wayland has the capability of doing, that don't necessarily fit, as we have said it here at the writer's room, with Paga's backstory and with Paga's innate abilities. There are some things that seem to be unique to Wayland's usage of the power. Subsuming ship was one of those. The ability to mend the ship is another. Mm-hmm. There are some powers of Wayland that are far more nature-based and like earth-based than Paga's shadow. What I would like to do now mm-hmm. is have a conversation between... Paga and Wayland. Absolutely. Because there have been some things there. And while I could make it in an episode that currently exists, we're going to do the same thing that we did with Jesse and have a little one-on-one where you can actually uh, maybe ask Paga some questions, Mm. get some answers. Hi, friends. Editing Zoe here again. The timeline for this scene takes place during the Nightingale's journey towards the Song de Ris, when it went ahead of La Rosa Blanca. In podcast terms, that is Article 32, I Promise Part 2, a few hours after the conversation between Wayland and Charles. And now that you are properly within the timeline, let's head into the narrative. Wayland, at one point, is just kind of taking in the room. And they're just kind of sitting at the desk and reminiscing about the last time that they were here on board this ship. All of the differences, everything that's the same, seeing what might be out of place, how things have changed. I made mention on the wall that there was a portrait hanging above a mantle that had a a weird shadow around Mm. it because of how the sunlight came in all the time. Mm. That portrait used to be of Elaine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. It's like a Queen Elaine portrait. It's like, yes. Samwell was not the kind of person that was going to put up a portrait of himself. That's what used to be hanging there. And Mm. it was a lot bigger than the current portrait. The current portrait is... 
It's a much smaller portrait of a not elderly, but definitely middle-aged woman. Mm. Rather pale, rather sickly looking, but smiling all the same. She's wearing a dress and she's seated at a garden kind of thing. Oh, man. Yeah, Waylon, as they're going around the room and taking certain things down, looks at that picture very sadly and decides not to remove it. Oh. Yeah. So as you're you're sitting there and you're looking at that portrait, the ship is moving smoothly through the night. The nightingale always moved smoothly. It was almost as if you just weren't at sea. Isn't a lot of rocking because she's so bottom heavy with mm-hmm. that lance attachment. Yeah. After a while, it gets unnaturally quiet. Even though you have candles and lanterns lit, it starts to dim in this room. And the candle on your desk, the smoke wisps come up and curl. Waylon's eyes follow them up to the ceiling and looks around. The lanterns dim even more. They're oil lanterns, Mm. so it's almost as if someone is just slowly turning them down until eventually, very slowly, the whole room goes dark. Mm. And in those weird wisps of smoke, you can kind of see a form, a figure, building themselves from shadow. Wayland initially, as things were happening, probably reached for either a dagger or one of his guns or Grela. Eventually, he was like, this is how, all right, okay. One of the things that I want to impart about Wayland is that they have a good sense of, is this trouble or is this business? Right now, this feels like business. There is that slight trepidation that this doesn't happen often, if at all. Right. But you get a good feeling that this is not malicious. And eventually the form is come to fruition. Mm. And it's almost as if they are made of the smoke. But it is Haga standing in front of your desk. Hello. They nod to you as in polite greeting. To what do I owe the pleasure? And then step to the side and turn their body and point in the distance. Now, where they're pointing is where the front door to the captain's quarters is. Mm -hmm. It is a long, long hallway. And at the end is a door. You can only just barely see it with the threshold around it. Mm. Wayland looks to Paga. This doesn't have to do anything with the Lady of Air and Darkness, does it? They shake their head, no. Okay, cool. No, that's good. All right. Off we go, I suppose. You come around the desk and begin to walk down the hallway. Now, as you're walking down the hallway, there are other entryways on your left and on your right. Mm -hmm. And some of these don't look like doorways. They don't look like they're made of wood. You walk past one and it's just a stone archway. Any writing or signage on any of these? There's some sealy writing on it. Do you poke your head in one of them? I think probably the third one down the line. Wayland, I think, knows enough not to look back. That's a frequent thing within myths of traveling down a path. You never look back. Yeah, there actually is an old Numenari myth involved a bard and his lover. Oh, you don't say. <laughs> I don't say at all. 
I'm totally not referring to uh, Eurydice and... Orpheus. Mm-hmm. You pop your head into the third mm-hmm. little doorway there. And what you see is a person who looks remarkably like Shade mm-hmm. in their human form. But their features are more angular. Almost cuttingly so. You could literally cut glass on them. And they are standing shrouded, covered in blacks and grays. And they are shaking hands with a man of significant mm-hmm. stature, probably around six foot three, six foot four, covered in plate mail armor, big heavy beard, a crown on his head. And they are shaking hands. And they look happy. When you lean in past the doorway, you can hear that they're speaking. But not make out. But not make out words. what they're saying. Right. And Paga waits behind you. Was that you and Elioth the day you made the agreement? Paga nods, yes. Who was Elioth to you? You don't see it, but you get this sense of a sad smile. And when you look at Paga for the answer, the image of Jesse comes to mind. Oh. Oh, I see. Wailing continues on. Mm-hmm. Do you go in any more doors? Yeah. Oh, after that. You're like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I I imagine that there are probably different doors that are in greater clarity Mm -hmm. than others. With, like, Paga's blessing, because Waylon, at this point, doesn't want to pry where he's not wanted. Mm. You do get the sense that any of these doors are open to you. By being here, you have permission. Gotcha. However, going through some of them... Mm. May be dangerous. Maybe dangerous. Maybe bring up some bad feels. Maybe a, a bit emotionally damaging. So we're going to roll this as a dramatic risk. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very, so you very can, good. You can help world build a little bit. We can build the backstory of Paga and possibly the backstory of you. Yeah. Yeah. As we travel through the crossroads. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. So, Wayland, how are you approaching this? <laughs> oh, God, let's go. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is a good question. You're going to go with empathy for sure. Yeah. Hmm. There's resolve. There's wits. Take a look at it from the narrative point of view, mm. and then we'll apply mechanics. So explain how Wayland is approaching this. Wayland's going into this to try and get a better understanding of Paga, how the two of them are connected, and get a better understanding of himself along the way. Mm-hmm. Wants to deepen his knowledge of who Paga was, because we can learn from the mistakes of those who have come before us. Mm-hmm. And considering that first image of Elioth and Paga, like, ah, ah, okay. We might be more alike than I ever thought. Oh, hmm. That looks oddly familiar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so I will accept resolve definitely works. You've kind of resolved yourself to not only viewing a past that isn't yours, but a past that could be and kind of connecting there. Wits absolutely works. Going at it from not just an empathetic mindset, but also like, okay, so if this happened, then that means this makes sense. Like start piecing together actual history. Yeah, wits would make sense there. Mm -hmm. 
I think I'll go with, I'll, I'll do wits. wits. I'll do wits. Okay, wits. Wits and empathy. Wits and empathy. That sounds great. Five. Take two for flair. Two for flair. Two for flair. Is there anything else I can do here? Uh, I think eagle eyes. Uh, eagle catch, eyes for sure. Catch all the details. Yep, yep, yep. You and your, your raptor sight. Raptor sight. <laughs> yeah, I think that's about it. Yep. And you start with two hero points, so if you want to, you can spend both of those on sure. getting yourself two bonus dice. Uh, yeah. Let's do, I'll spend one. I'm getting, I'm getting another bonus die. Okay. One hero point. There are no consequences and opportunities inherent in a dramatic sequence, so go ahead and mm-hmm. roll those bones. <laughs> Good Foley. All right. Two tens right Love off that. the bat. Uh, that's a one and a two, mm. and a seven, and another two, and a four, and a two. You rank three, so you can re-roll one. The nine. We'll do seven and four, and seven, two, and two. Got one, two, three, four, five. Five races, no remainders? Five races, no remainders. Ah, dang it. <laughs> don't carry Just start giving yourself extra danger. Who's going to know? We're gonna know. <laughs> Who's gonna know? How would they know? <laughs> How would they know? How would they know? How would they know? Okie dokes. Okay. You got five big old raises, buddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are potentially five pieces of past you can find. There are mm-hmm. five questions you can ask that you can get the answer to. <sighs> there are five scenes that you could potentially see. Shit, what do I want? <laughs> That is the question. What do I want? I think the next thing that Waylon's going to do is he's going to go find another door to, to look through. I think that's a good place to start. Okay. There was something that happened between Paga and Elioth. Like, I know it was Paga that ended up closing the gate, and I know that there was a war, and I know that it was for the best, but what was the inciting incident? I'll spend a raise to do that. So... There's an archway that you pass that is ruined and crumbled, and it draws you in. You have that image of Elioth and Paga mm-hmm. shaking hands amicably, and you're like, where did it go wrong? Where did it go wrong, and did it go right again? And you step in. The first thing that you smell is iron. Oh. Just that mm. terrible metallic smell, and even taste on the air. There are burning trees. There are bodies, not only of humans, but of fey creatures. There is red blood as well as pure silver blood Mm -hmm. everywhere. You see this menacing figure with a full rack of antlers on their head, standing before Elioth with a terrible sword in their hand, and they are clashing, and every time the swords meet, there is a spark of Mm -hmm. fire and flame that is fairy fire, but blackened and and twisted. twisted. Do I recognize the Earl King? Yeah. Yeah, I had a feeling. (laughs) You don't recognize him as in like, oh, this is an old friend. I know who this it's is. Like you I know recognize, who that figure you recognize the power. Yeah. Yes, Paga is there, but he's fighting on the opposite side. Mm-hmm. He's fighting with the Earl King, right? And they're both up against Elioth, and Elioth looks not only like they've been through hell, but has that look of ultimate betrayal, right? 
His eyes are red and puffy because he's been crying, maybe out of anger, maybe out of sadness, but he is fighting for his life in this moment. The Earl King tells Paga to finish it and hands over the sword and Paga takes it. Wayland's grip on the doorway, white knuckles mm-hmm. as he's watching this scene. Mm-hmm. Paga raises the sword to deal the final blow as Elioth is on the ground, can't stop it, and then they stab down and threw themselves into the Earl King. The Earl King screeches and stumbles away and rips the sword out from them. Mm -hmm. Then Titania's forces show up. Mm all dressed in greens and golds and there's fire in their hair as they ride on these majestic steeds out of nowhere and overtake the Earl King. There's a moment between Paga and Elioth. Elioth is trying very hard to keep Paga alive because Paga has literally just unmade themselves Mm -hmm. by doing this, as we know the sword is capable of doing. It kind of like cuts there. Wayland looks back to Paga. Of all individuals, why side with the Earl King? They take a pause and then turn to show you something on a wall. And it looks oddly like a charter. A set of rules that are laid in place. Then they point at one of the three major clauses of a fae. Your sovereign asks. You do. So Paga was unseelie. It seems as though they were unseelie. Wayland takes a moment to absorb the fact that Reese created charters based off of this older than the world magic. Mm-hmm. That's why there's only one article to the charters. Right. You follow Captain Reese and what she says. It's the same. That's all the same. I'm going to spend another raise. As far as the Fae are concerned, why is it a hard and fast rule that ye are so bound by these guidelines? I understand the magic of promises. I understand that. I don't get it. I mean, it seems to be what's affecting Audra or Maeve, if they are even the same person. Paga lifts their hand as if to rub at their forehead. When they remove their fingers from their face, there are these silver lines. Mm. And they run them in between their fingers and weave them into a cat's cradle. Mm -hmm. And then show you this scene of... And in your head, you get a little bit of a dialogue. Once upon a time, there was nothing. And then, from nothing came something. And then as they're weaving, you watch this one little tiny silver thread just start to grow, like a little seedling. Mm. And from that seedling comes leaves, comes branches, more trees, more everything. And that seedling 
remains throughout the whole story. You see buildings, you see people, you see a glimpse of a civilization that used to exist but doesn't anymore. Mm -hmm. And then you see modern day things. You see ships, you see carriages, you see all sorts of civilization and humanity. And all throughout all of that, you still see that one little seedling, but you see it inside of people and inside of places, sometimes more so than others. And from that something came everything. And that something still remains. That something is the spark of life. The spark of magic. They close their hands together and crush the threads. And it becomes that one single little tiny seedling. And then they fold their hand over it, place it over themselves, and it becomes absorbed into their being. Forgive me if this is ignorance of someone who is looking from the outside in, but the guidelines and the structures of old, well, they've not aged well. Pardon nods. I understand that there are rules that we all follow, societal rules. Those seem to hold far stronger for Faye. If you break those rules, you break yourself. But there are situations that need to be exceptions. If the breaking of a promise, or if a promise cannot be kept without... And Wayland pauses and holds their tongue for a moment in this time of reflection. If a promise is broken by another party or cannot be kept without direct harm, or the promise is no longer possible, then the individual held by that promise should be released. You don't hear it so much as feel it. It's a deep, frustrated sigh. Does it seem frustrated in agreement with me? Yes. Okay. <laughs> it, is a, it is a deep, frustrated sigh that gives you the reassurance that you are correct. Mm -hmm. But it's more complicated but than that. But it's a lot more complicated than that. How do you convince people who have held so steadfast for so long under an outdated rule set that change is necessary? Pugger shrugs. Fair enough. Wayland nods their head. They continue on. As they're walking along, I'll spend another raise on this. I'll bring myself down to two. Haga, do you regret erasing yourself from history? Haga is, air quotes, walking yeah. beside you. More like drifting. And they stop. Do you regret not letting people know your side of the story? Again, you get that feeling of reassurance. But also sadness and anger. Was it even your choice? They then motion their hand over to a doorway that did not exist before, but now exists. Mm. And it was kind of covered in this static shadow that mm -hmm. kept it hidden from view. And when they wave their hand, it apparates. And you can see several different people as stone statues lined up. And there are 13 people, and they all vary in nationality, in size, in personages, 
And it's all of the people that has previously worn the mantle. There are women, there are children, mm -hmm. there are men, there are non-binary. And when you walk over to them, their nameplate is there. Does Waylon see themselves? You do. You also see, see, see Samwell. Samwell. Yeah, okay, that's... We're going to put a pin in that. We're going to come back to that real fucking soon, though. Because <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Paga motions for you to look at them. And they raise their hand and they wiggle their fingers and then they put their hand over the nameplate and then motion for you to do the same. And I do. The moment that your hand touches the nameplate, <laughs> you are in a third person view of watching them. Oh. You watch them in fast paced progression, their life, when they took the mantle or mm -hmm. when the mantle accepted them, what they did with the mantle and when the mantle left them. Okay. Most of them, eight out of the 13 of them, have chosen to live their life as Paga intended. Vague. In shadow. And when you remove your hand from the nameplate and move on to the next one, you get that feeling of forgetfulness. And you realize that every time the mantle leaves the person they have chosen, they forget entirely. That they were a mantle bearer. Oh, wow. Oh, God. Okay. And I get the sense that that is unique to Paga. That is unique to Paga, yes. Got you. And every single time, it's always been for good. It's always been for justice and heroic acts and mm. things that are kind of hidden behind the shadows. There's some espionage going on. A lot of things hidden behind the shadows that nobody talks about. And then there are others. There are four others that when you put your hand on the nameplate, you get this horrible nausea of the power that they have been given used for ill gains. And this was when the mantle rejected them. Yeah. It wasn't a, a fair parting among the mantle and the bearer. They removed themselves entirely, except they remember all the terrible things that they did. They don't remember who or why. They don't remember Paga inherently, mm. but they remember all of the bad things they did with that power. Right. Camera gets a good view of this stone effigy that you pass by. Mm -hmm. It's Roland. Okay, yes. Mm -hmm. So Roland got the mantle after a particularly malicious individual had it. They never once used Paga's powers. He felt Paga's confusion and pain as his own and said listen when you find the right person you can leave whenever you want mm -hmm. i will never call upon you you can stay as long as you need roland was a safe haven and that is the only person in the lineup that remembers Paga. when we find samuel flint the first time that you are shaking hands with Roland, yeah. was when Paga connected with you. We get to Samwell. Wayland hesitates. I bring myself down to one raise. Mm -hmm. I mean, there should just be the one. Paga nods. As much as I acknowledge that I've I've moved past what I did as as Samuel Flint, it, it was still me. They were still my actions. Why is there a separate statue? 
Pago motions to the nameplate. Because well, I renamed myself, I'm a different person now. That seemed. Well, don't get me wrong, I'm not terribly upset about, you know, leaving that part of me behind, but it feels like I'm kind of getting off easy there. Paga motions to the nameplate. Waylon just looks at Paga and very slowly puts their hand on the nameplate. Now, this point of view is different mm. because you've lived this life. Right. You are reliving. The moment when Paga chose you, the moment when you first started using their powers, mm -hmm. the moment when the bulwark sank, when you subsumed the ship, is the moment that the mantle split. You watch what? as if a sheet of fabric is torn from the center and all sorts of fibers just drifting out in the sea, and one of them is wrapped tightly around Samuel Flint, mm -hmm. and the other is kind of loosely draped over Wayland Great Wall. Is that... I still don't understand. How... How did I separate like that? That That's, that's not normal. That... People can't just do that. They nod, and then they hold up a coin. Mm -hmm. And they show the coin, and it has a, a face and a tail. And then they split their fingers, and the coin with the head mm -hmm. is separated from the coin with the tail. They are still the same coin, but when they show the backside, there's nothing. And then when they combine them again, they are one solid coin. I understand what happened. She's not necessarily why. Because, I mean, plenty of people have faked their death before. Although that wasn't necessarily my intention. Last race. The day that I washed up on shore, I still don't know how I got there. We were far out to sea. We were far from any shoreline. And the next morning, I had a mouthful of sand and I was breathing air. I always assumed, but now I'm not sure. Was that you? They shake their head no. What the fuck do you mean no? Then how? Then why? What? They point to Waylon's nameplate. Looks at them, confused. And once again, hesitantly, though not as hesitantly as with Samwell, Waylon puts their hand on their own name. <laughs> You're not breathing. You're under the water. There is debris and destruction of ship And pieces. a hole in my chest. <laughs> and, and you're bleeding. There's blood in the water. And you also see Paga. Mm. In that same moment that they were unraveled when they stabbed themselves. Right. Floating in the water with you. Torn in half. As if they are a cloak. Fuck. And there's a shadow in the water that is getting closer. Mm. And they take both forms of Paga, mm -hmm. wrap them up and bind them, and wear the mantle. And then they swim up to you, grab you, bring you to the surface, and then you hear the sounds of waves crashing up on a beach. Mm -hmm. And you get unceremoniously put on your back, and you feel chest compressions happening. <gasps> and then... <laughs> yep. <laughs> 
when you look up to see in your your bleary state Mm. who saved you, there are golden feline eyes, a unsettling smile underneath a hood, and when they bring their hood down, good, I'll see you soon. And they pat your chest twice, and Shade stands up and disappears out of your purview. Wow, okay. All right. The, yeah, Waylon at that point, after remembering what it was like to drown and die <laughs> and, and die. come back to life. Oh, fuck. This is illustrating that you didn't fake your death. You actually fucking died. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There is a point where Samwell ends and where Wayland begins. Mm-hmm. Why shade? I have so many questions. Oh, ye have. Small mind. I know. Shade? Spins around. You are now at that doorway that right. you were walking towards. And in there's shade. How did you know to find me? Why did you come? Because the mantle asked me. Wayland looks to the statues. <laughs> Do I see shade? You see shade in every single one of them. What? You see shade in every single one of their lives, either playing a pertinent part or staying to the shadows. Okay. I mean, I'm putting the pieces together, but what was your relationship to Paga in their life? Let me answer your question with a question of my own, as you humans enjoy doing. By all means. What am I the king of? The tell with tea. And they look over at a wall and tap a knuckle on that old-ass fucking Mm. claws rules thing of the fae. Yep. Oh. Are you telling me that you're the Earl King? Like, what's going on? You saw when the Earl King was unmade, yes. And by doing so, Pago was unmade. Aye. Just as there must always be a queen, there must always be a king. You took over. The Earl King was the contingency for the Queens. My sole existence was the contingency for the Earl King. Wayland's eyes go wide hands immediately to their head. (laughs) What the fuck? Really? How? What? When? Why? The fuck? The absolute fuck, Shade. What the fuck? Well... That certainly illustrates the diversity of the word. We're just, uh, just a moment. I'm absorbing. Of course. Take as long as you need. Apologies. Revelation after revelation today. None needed. So why be the guardian of the mantles? I mean, don't get me wrong. I am deeply appreciative for everything you did for me. But a new mantle would have been found. Not in the state it was in. I still don't understand how I did that. We're not sure either. Oh, that's not the most encouraging thing I've ever heard. Oh, I'm sorry. The Earl King's contingency just told me that they're not sure how I did something. That's genuinely terrifying. If I could feel fear, I'd also be terrified. Waylon runs their hand through their hair and just kind of slumps against their own statue. So what Mama Coco was saying, that wasn't metaphorical. I really have two souls. Indeed. 
I broke myself in two. How is that even possible? Is it because of the mantle? I'm afraid it has nothing to do with the mantle. For if it did, don't you think I would have fixed it already? Uh, uh, uh. You are a curious being, Wayland Greywall. Would you blame me if I said I wish I wasn't sometimes? Not at all. Regardless, both of you, thank you for saving me, for keeping me on the straight and narrow, putting up with my bullshit. There's a reassurance feeling from Paga, Mm. as though the mantle just kind of drapes around your shoulders, Mm. and you get that comforting, like, ah, weighted blanket kind of feeling. And Shade puts a hand out and puts a hand on your shoulder and says, isn't that what godparents are for? And then pushes you through the door. (laughs) What? (laughs) And you wake up at your desk. What? (laughs) I just imagine you like a head on the desk, full drool, everything. Just screams so echoes and like cuts through (laughs) all of the decks of the ship. We're like up in the fucking air. We see the tiny little ship and we just hear. You just hear us. What? And that, I feel, is a perfect cutoff for that. What the fuck? What do you mean? What do you mean? (laughs) I'm so confused. I'm so lost. Congratulations, Patrick. You have a godfather. (laughs) Apparently, the king of the Telwintag. Ah, fuck me. What the hell, man? (laughs) That's just... That's so much to unpack. Well, we're gonna what, have, how, why, and where. We're gonna have to unpack that at a later time. That is gonna conclude our notes of the narrator session on magic and on Wayland. Thanks, Pat, for joining us. Thanks, Zoe. What the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? Uh, and until next time, friends. Remember, not everything is as it seems. Uh-huh. Be safe and well. <laughs>